This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. everybody it is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville North Carolina welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on sports country radio it's January the 26th 2024 we are just two days away from the uh, championship games in the AFC and the NFC to decide who will go to the Super Bowl. And uh, we're going to have Dan Zampano coming up here at 9.15 to talk about that, uh, all the things going on around in the coaching carousel. We had to tape the interview with Dan last night. Again, he was not available today to do it live. And, of course, as the same thing that happened last week, we do the interview last night, and what happens uh, the Falcons, right after I get done taping the interview with Dan, the Falcons hire Raheem Morris as their new head coach. Uh, Morris, uh, who has previous head coaching experience with the Buccaneers, wasn't exactly successful. Uh, 17 and 31 from the Bucks. He was the interim Falcon coach uh, in 2020. Um, but uh, he is coming over from the Rams where he served as defensive coordinator and uh, so Bill Belichick finds himself on the outs with only a couple of jobs left open. So, uh, uh, again, we uh, we talked about all that with Dan, and uh, I apologize that uh, we had to tape it so that uh, the Raheem Morris news did not come out. But uh, uh, lots of – believe me, <laughs> he and I unpacked an awful lot in that interview. So uh, that's coming up at 9.15. Good night if you are a Boston sports fan. The Boston Celtics last night put an absolute – beat down on the Miami Heat. The Celtics win last night 143 to 110. This was never a game. I mean it really wasn't. I watched I watched about half of it, but it was you know, it was an ass kick and the Celtics were up by 13 at the end of one. The Celtics had 77 points at halftime. I mean it was crazy. Um, seven players scored in double figures for Boston. The Celtics shot almost 64% from the field, 56% from three. I mean, it was crazy. They were 22 of 40 from three-point range. Oh, and by the way, 19 of 20 from the free-throw line. Uh, But they did something no other team in NBA history has ever done. All five starters made at least three three three-pointers and three two-pointers, and nobody had ever done that before. Uh, Jason Tatum was the only guy in the Celtics lineup that played last night that shot under 50%. And he was 7 for 15 and had uh, 26 points. And, by the way, went 9 of 10 from the line. So uh, had 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Just a, a uh, an absolute crushing. Uh, <laughs> Eric Spolster, the head coach of Miami, at the end of the game said, uh, uh, they put us in our place. 
and the Celtics showing why they are the best team in the NBA, uh, at least to this point of the season. A little bit of concern last night. Uh, Christoph Przingis rolled an ankle, had to leave the court, uh, was helped back into the locker room, never returned to the game. After the game, he said, you know, he said, look, you know, we'll see how it is uh, tomorrow, he said, especially after the flight. But he said right now, he says, I'm doing good and I'm staying positive, but I'll be surprised if he doesn't miss uh, some time. I mean, I got to think after, I mean, unless he's got like a rubber ankle, I don't know how he doesn't miss at least a week, maybe two. Sprains are a pain. No pun intended, but sprains are sometimes worse than a break because they can hang on for a long time. We just got to hope that there was no major damage uh, and he's able to come back because they need him uh, if they are going to uh, make a run at the NBA title. And they've still got plenty of time. Look, we're only 45 games into it, but 35 and 10. They are three games better than anybody else in the NBA right now. And uh, it is going to be... Uh, a race to the finish. They're going to have to fight it out with the Bucks and the Bucks, of course, with their new coach, Doc Rivers. Uh, just a bizarre situation. I still can't get over that. I don't care what they want to say about Adrian Griffin. But, oh, defense was a problem. Yeah, look, he, the guy, the guy was thirty and thirteen, and you fired him. It's just absolute craziness. Uh, the other Boston team that played last night, of course, the Boston Bruins. The Bruins did not look very good last night. Let's be honest. They got outplayed. The Bruins win the game 3-2 in overtime, but that was um, – I don't want to – you don't want to say it's lucky, but my God, Jeremy Swayman had to stand on his head. Swayman made 35 saves last night, including an, a huge one uh, in the overtime um, and a- allowing the Bruins to get – the eventual winner, Bar- Brad Marchand, at the end of a long shift, uh, knocks one in from Charlie Coyle. The Bruins win it 3-2. They got outshot in the game 37-23. to They were just outright flat. They spent way too much time in the penalty box. Six penalties against the Bruins last night, just one for Ottawa. Ottawa spent 10 minutes and 44 seconds with the man advantage in that game last night. The Bruins... Uh, three seconds on the power play. Of course, and it was uh, it was in the first period. Three seconds into a power play, David, David Pasternak scored his 31st goal of the season. But just, you know, silly penalties. And the one that really killed him uh, was the one that led to the tying goal to send it into overtime. Vladimir Tarasenko with a power play goal at 16.42 of the third period after the Celtics take a, uh, a cross-checking penalty. Uh, Parker Watherspoon, a silly penalty, and allowed Ottawa to tie it up. But uh, Brad Marchand bails him out. Marchand's 24th goal of the season. And Jeremy Swayman, who is going to the All-Star game, just continues to impress. Uh, This kid has been great. Right now, he might be uh, the best goaltender in the NHL. And last night, he bailed them out with, a, like I said, a huge save in the overtime period to set up the winner by Marchand. It is 13 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have our interview with Dan Zampano. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. And as we are every Friday, we are thrilled to be joined by Dan Zampano of the Sunday Card, our NFL guru. And, Dan, we're finally here. The uh, the final four for the Super Bowl. 
And both of these games this week are going to be very, very compelling. Uh, no question about it. I think both of the games are going to be exciting. I think they both will probably come down to the fourth quarter, uh, as these games tend to do. Historically, uh, the home team does have a major advantage. We haven't had a road, a double road team uh, win here, I think, since the 2018 season when the Rams and the Patriots both won, unless I'm forgetting something. So, uh, no, it should be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun going forward for the right to play for the Super Bowl. I mean, what's bigger than this, Gene? Right. It's, it's, it should be great. But before we get to last week's games and talk about this week, uh, let's get to the uh, the coaching and coordinator carousel going on. It the probably the worst kept uh, secret it was that Jim Harbaugh was coming to the NFL, but he got a second interview with Atlanta. So all of a sudden, the thoughts that he was automatically going to the Chargers, people are like, "Well, wait a minute!" But he does ultimately sign with the Chargers, and he got a five-year deal. And if you are a Charger fan, you've got to be doing cartwheels right now. Well, you know the history of the team as well as anybody. I mean, this has got to be the best coach they've had since Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, this is this is this is it. I mean, those teams were excellent. Those teams in the early to mid two thousands. Uh, but I think Harbaugh provides the ultimate thing that the Chargers probably need the most is toughness. Um, I think that that's his way. That's his will. He will rebuild the offensive line. He will focus heavily on the defensive front. Uh, you won't be able to run on the Chargers like you have been under the last two regimes. Right. I think this is a home run hire for the Chargers. He's going to bring that great enthusiasm, and he's going to attack the day every day. That's how he is, you know, just enthusiastic to his core. So it's good to have another Harbaugh back at the NFL, who, by the way, they are scheduled to play the Ravens next year. So that should be a lot of fun. Oh, wow, that's great. That's great. And look, and this is a guy that had success in the NFL before. It's not like he's a newbie to the league. And and, and the fact that he pl- he played for the Chargers uh, a little bit was is also kind of a uh, – it's almost like a full circle moment for him. A little bit, a little bit, you know, when they were back in San Diego many, many moons ago. Yep. But, uh, you know, I, I think Harbaugh just – you know, there's something about that family – or they just have an unbridled enthusiasm for life and for football. And you that that resonates with a lot of players, yeah. you know? And they're not they're not there to judge the players. They're there to find guys that fit their program, yes, but they they also are, are people they're they're people persons, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the way they are. So uh, it's definitely a home run hire. Unfortunately for my Michigan Wolverines, it is going to be sad to see him go, but you know what? Uh, I mean, how can you not be thankful? He'll have a seat at the table in Ann Arbor forever. Well, and I thought I thought that Michigan handled this very classily, too. I mean, look, they tried very hard. They offered him the sun, the moon, and the stars to try to get him to stay. But I thought that they handled it very well when it was clear he was going to leave. Basically, you know, hey, we're going to be rooting for you, and, you know, best of luck. And, you know, it, so I thought I thought Michigan handled it as well as they did without, you know, showing any sour grapes. Sure. I mean, Michigan probably Michigan knew that the chances of him coming back were extremely slim once he hired Don Yee as his agent. I mean, Don right. Yee's the, the agent for the stars, as you will, in in uh, in the NFL. So 
um, yeah, no, I completely, I completely think they did it classly, and hopefully Sharon Moore, who it sounds like it's going to be, will carry the program on and, and, and put a new mantle up top there. It would be great. Um, you know, and I, I guess if you are a Michigan fan and why you are sad, in some ways the suspension that Harbaugh had to serve this year uh, kind of gave you uh, a preview of, of what Sharon Moore could do. Oh, that, well, that's the great thing about it is you could see, like, the players were all in for Sharon. He's a passionate guy as well. And I think it also speaks to something else. Why you would want to coach in, in college versus the NFL is just beyond me. I mean, if you if you have the right situation, you get to pick exactly the players you want, when you want them, how many years you want them, right? Right. Most of the time. Right. Versus these NIL deals and basically college football – is free agency without any, um, you know, without a contract. Right. You know, I mean, that's pretty much it. You sign a contract to go to the school for a year. I mean, you're year to year. Saban probably feels the same way. And I think you'll see more college coaches either jump ship for the league or the big ones get out altogether because to retain the same players, it takes a lot. You are a salesman. Luckily, Jim Harbaugh is definitely more of a salesman than anybody else. Right. It's just about control at the end of the day, and that's what they want. I think the Chargers and the Spanoses are willing to give it to them. Yeah, you know, and it's not just it's not just football in college. And college basketball is the same way. It, the NCAA has become the Wild West without the guns. Sure. Um, so, but at least in basketball, you could say at least in basketball you could say, okay, the guys are only required to be here one year anyway. Right. That's true. You know. Yeah. So, I mean. Well, you look at Calipari, he's the salesman. Like, that's what he is. Yep. He's going to sell you on getting to the NBA. You know, they, they have at least a history of dealing with this versus the NFL and college football. I mean, it's, it's new, been yeah. known, you know, that it's due. Right, right. Uh, the other big coaching news uh, just broke on Thursday, and that is that the Carolina Panthers have their sixth head coach since David Tepper bought the team, uh, and they have hired uh, Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator from the Tampa Bay Bucks, who whose reclamation project uh, was Baker Mayfield. And I'll tell you what, you put that on your resume, plus what he did with Geno Smith in Seattle, and it looks almost like a no-brainer uh, hire for, for Carolina simply because you've got that young quarterback in Bryce Young who has lo- who looked completely lost since he got there. Yeah, I mean, he was just put in a terrible position, yeah. obviously. And, you know, I think Dave, from going to one year to be an offensive coordinator to now getting a head coaching job, it's a big leap. You know, it's a, definitely a big leap. And he was definitely a part of that Geno Smith run. He was also... Don't forget. I mean, he was—he's a Super Bowl champion. He won a Super Bowl with Seattle, right. Seattle years ago, you know, and and started kind of helping out the development of Russell Wilson. Right. So, you know, um, kind of had more to do with it more at the end. But you could see he's got a lot of talent when put in the right situation. They just got to get some talent around him. And I think Dan Morgan, the new GM, understands that. I think they'll be at the hip as long as Dave understands that. It's probably going to be Dan picking a lot of the uh, picking a lot of the stuff, you know. I yep. mean, he's going to be doing most of the groceries, if you will, to borrow that Parcells uh, Parcells quote there. Uh, but you know what? I think I think it could work, no question. 
I think that Canales is going to realize, though, that the head coaching position is unlike anything else that you could do. I mean, he's going to have to put together a staff. I'm sure he's going to have to rely heavily on the league. Um, and, and the way Tepper has been, I'm sure that <laughs> Tepper, uh, you know, God bless him. He's a really great head fund manager. Well, he pleased to stay out of the football room, like, please. Right. Right. And stop throwing drinks on people, you know. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It's going to take two, three years to get this thing going. And Canales is a guy that, level-headed as he may be, it is going to be a challenge, no question. Well, that's the pro- you know the problem with an owner like that is you're a forty to three loss away from being unemployed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no question. And I don't, I can't imagine that Pepper would want to fire. His, his third head coach in three years, you know? Like, you got to at least think, Canales was not coming there. Hey, can I at least get a two- or three-year window here to, right. to do something? Because I think we're going to need that. So, I, And why would anyone want to go there, you know? So uh, Tepper has got to, to act in good faith to Canales here if they're going to do anything. Otherwise, hey, I'll go back to the pirate ship down in Tampa if I need to, you know? I mean, they, they would hire me, hire me there. So... You know, I think I think it's going to be all contingent upon is David Tepper going to blow up the next time something goes wrong. Right. A um, couple of coaches that did not get fired, and uh, in, and I, I thought that Nick Sirianni's job was in trouble, but it sounds like he held on to his job uh, by a shoestring and an offensive coordinator firing. Uh, the Eagles, instead of getting rid of Sirianni, they got rid of their offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson. They're going to bring in somebody new, and they've told Sirianni that he has to give up control of the offense. So it sounds like he was kind of given an ultimatum: you do it our way, or we're gonna we're gonna make some we're gonna make a more radical change. Well, you know, I think what Sirianni needs to be is he needs to look at the team and be like, okay, what do we need to do to change it? But, you know, I don't need to necessarily call plays here, and you know, maybe whoever he hires, whether that's you know, you're hearing names like Cliff Kingsbury. God help us all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like you're, you're, you're hearing names right. like, uh, like, like Kellen Moore, yep. um, you know, guys like that that are innovative. Yep. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they went the route of maybe a Sean McVay-style person, although that's not necessarily the type of offense they really want to run with Jalen Hurts. So I, I, it would be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting to see where they go. Maybe they go to a Greg Roman-style guy. I don't know, you know. Um, but uh, what I do think is this. I think that Sirianni uh, does have a short leash uh, at this point. The Eagles are too talented for them to end the season that way. And, and they didn't make any adjustments any time during the season. Right. You know, I mean, we just kind of kept doing the same thing over and over. Well, we're not going to put any tight ends to help block. We're not going to run any motion offense. We're not going to have any variety. We're just going to keep doing what we do and let teams – see it on tape and eventually teams you know figure it out uh, i think the one thing that they did do that was really smart was they got the defensive coordinator that they needed to get right i mean they right. that they should they should have hired fangio a couple like last year right uh, and they waited too long for gannon to leave uh and then they let fangio go to miami now that fangio is there it's a great hire for them i think it's going to help them tremendously how shocked were you that fangio was let go by the dolphins uh, I don't know. I you know I, I think that there maybe there, it was a trial period, a trial run. I don't know. Maybe Fangio had it in his contract where hey, I only want to be here for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he knew where he wanted to go. I don't know 
why that was the way it was. Uh, he had a disagreement. Maybe he pulled a George Costanza and started, you know, <laughs> taking the Super Bowl trophy out of the parking lot on his car. Like, who knows what, what the reason was. But Fangio has a ton of respect. Right. A ton of respect in the league because of his acumen. He's the guy that first learned how to shut down the Sean McVay offense. So, you know, I, I think that with his years of experience, uh, I think they probably respected it and said, okay, we'll find somebody else. Um, a guy who wasn't, I don't, you know, was never really in jeopardy of being fired, but a guy that took a lot of heat this year was Sean McDermott uh, of Buffalo. And, you know, despite how the game, mm-hmm. despite how the game ended last week, he's had a lot of heat because, you know, that midseason slump that they had. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, you peaked before the playoffs and yeah, you know, so uh, it was so bad that the GM, Brandon Bean actually had to come out this week and say, hey. You know, uh, you know, we're behind this guy. You know, so everybody needs to just calm down here. And I think that was the right move, don't you? Well, of course it is because that guy needs to save his job too. <laughs> I mean, Bean, <laughs> yeah. they're both they're both you know on the hot seat here. Look at the moves. Yeah, okay, we can credit Brandon Bean for drafting Josh Allen for bringing over Stephon Diggs. Like those are great moves, but that those have been moves that are two or three years old. What have you done to supplement that? I think the money that they have spent defensively on players that really don't fit how you're supposed to play in Buffalo. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that they've done a very good job of that. Right. You know, and, and allocating that money on defensive players. I think that they need a new direction um, in terms of how they've built their defense. I think they've gone all in on trying to beat the Chiefs instead of trying to to, to be the best team for a Buffalo for the city of Buffalo in general and how you're supposed to play in Western New York. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. That team is not built for the outdoor elements. They're just not. So they did a better job offensively, but they've got their they got they got their butts kicked on on, on Sunday. I mean they up front they got killed. Right. They got killed on running the football. They got no pass rush. They got nothing. And you know, they're a small defense. They're a finesse defense and in Buffalo, you got to be a tough, hard-nosed football physical team to, to, to deal with what you're going to have to deal with, not just from other teams, but the elements. So, so to me, the fact that, that Bean was not let go, the fact that, that McDermott was not let go tells me, okay, you're getting one more shot at this and one more crack, and if we can't break through next year – which is going to be very difficult because, of course, they're $50 million over the cap. Right. So I don't know how they're really going to change much of their team. Uh, it's going to have to be scheme, not team. And that's and Joe Brady did a great job as the offensive coordinator there. I think he probably deserves to get that job. But defensively, are they going to bring in a new defensive coordinator and not have Sean have to run the defense himself? Like, I think that that would probably be best. And it's got to be something innovative. So we shall see what goes on in Buffalo. But it's another year, same old story. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, speaking of defensive coordinators, uh, got rid of Joe Barry. Um, and I get, you know, it's not real hard to see. I mean, look, uh, since he's been the defensive coordinator there, they have not exactly excelled, right? I mean, uh, they've been middle of the pack at best. And the worst part about it is is their opponent third down conversion. I saw this the other day. They're like 25th in the league in the three years he was a defensive coordinator in third down conversion percentage by their opponents. That's a problem. They have put together a way too talented roster defensively to be that bad. I mean, it's, it's that bad. 
and I'll give them like give them credit. They they were able to play well at the end of the year. I thought they were playing so well that if they had won that game against San Francisco, which we'll talk about later, if they had won that game, I give them a great chance this weekend. Right. I mean, I really did. We talked about that. But again, that was kind of again the Achilles heel. They they weren't able to stop big plays when they needed it. Um, so yeah, no, there's no no. There's no surprise there that Barry was let go. I think it was pretty obvious. And, they, again, they'll probably bring in somebody that, again, will utilize the talent on their team. they got a great defensive line. they got some really good corners. If they get Alexander back, we'll see if he wants to come back to the team. Uh, you know, the, they have a lot of bright pieces on that Green Bay defense. Um, another hiring, uh, Shane Waldron hired as the new Bears offensive coordinator. Um how much input? Yeah. How much input do you think he'll have, being new, into the decision the Bears are going to have to make here in the next couple of months over what to do about Justin Fields? I am just fascinated. I, I think I think that he's probably got to look at it and say, "Okay, this this does tell me a little bit," because Shane Waldron is coming from Seattle, right? Yep. So you look at you look at the way Seattle has run their team. They have had this issue where they've had a quarterback that's, that wants to throw the football and they want him to cook and do all these things. And But in reality, Seattle, Seattle's more of a, of a rushing team. Yep. I mean, that's what they really want to do. Now, with Geno Smith, that changed a little bit, right? I mean, that, that started they started throwing the ball over the yard, and Waldron was a part of that. So maybe, maybe it tells you something that, hey – if we're going to draft Caleb Williams, we want a good passing game coordinator here. Mm-hmm. Let's go out and get a player, get a guy like this who worked really well with Geno Smith, and let's surround, let's go out and get a high-priced receiver to match with D.J. Moore to be able to, to really fly this thing off the handle. Let me tell you, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, there was a mock draft that came out uh, either Wednesday or Thursday uh, that had the Patriots and the Bears involved. And I thought this was fascinating in that the Patriots would get Justin Fields. And in return, the Patriots would give up their number three pick and then take the Bears' number nine pick. And they had the Bears then taking Williams at number one, Marvin Harrison Jr. at number three, and then the Patriots taking a wide receiver from LSU, I can't remember the name, uh, at number nine. Yeah, Malika Neighbors. Yes, that's uh, the one. Yeah, that would that would be absolutely insane. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, unless unless they are willing to completely change their offense, which they probably should at this point, right? I mean, right. they've wanted to do that for a few years. I mean, don't, let's not forget the Patriots were the, the Patriots were going to draft Lamar Jackson. Oh. They were going to oh. do that. Oh. So. How did, which makes you sick. Oh, I mean, it makes you absolutely sick. It does. And, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't able to do it, and they kept that offense in because Brady was there. They wanted to, to keep that offense going, and they've just kept it going. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they tried to do a little bit with Cam Newton, and they tried to go that way, and then they just decided, nope, we're going we're gonna to go back to the Brady offense, and we're going to run Mac Jones. I, I think they need a complete overall. I would absolutely despise whoever wrote that should be sent off on the first <laughs> rocket ship from Mars. That's, that's where they should be sent. Get them working. Like, that would be just ridiculous <laughs> thing to do. So, I, I agree. And that's my opinion. Gene, I, I do have a question for you, Go though, ahead. okay? Yes. So, we have 
three head coaching jobs left, right? Yeah. Just three. Yes. All right. Is Belichick or Vrabel going to get one of the Falcons, Commanders, or Seahawks jobs? Here's 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 like, are they going to get them? Here's the thing. I think that I think Belichick could have that Falcons job if he wants it. But I've heard some things that the that Bill might be hesitant to take the job because of who the CEO is, Rich McKay, who he does not like. Ah. He does not like Rich McKay. And Rich McKay was named CEO of the Falcons last spring. So technically, Belichick might have to report to Rich McKay, who was on, the, of course, the competition committee with the NFL. And he and Belichick do not see eye to eye. So I'm wondering if that might be the stumbling block in Atlanta. See, I had not heard that, so that's 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 a little tidbit that, that you picked up there. That's great. I mean, I I think that that definitely could be a hindrance. Don't forget, Harbaugh's off the board now. Right. The only other guy, the the other guy that got a second interview with the Falcons was Raheem Morris. Yes. So, who has coached in that division before? Uh, is an excellent defensive coordinator, and is younger, obviously. Like, do the Falcons want to go in that direction? That's a great – I mean, that wouldn't be a bad hire if you hire Raheem Morris. Yep. But over, over Belichick, that's the, are you ready to hand the keys completely over to Bill? That's the question. And it right. seems like most of these teams are not, right. which is fascinating to me. And to me, I just think, wow, like you really don't want to set that foundation. And, and maybe people are kind of scarred by the Parcells thing. I, I don't know, you know, it, but it, everywhere those guys have been, they've been successful. It, it could be, or it could be that the struggles that the Patriots had personnel-wise, draft-wise, et cetera, et cetera, uh, with Bill as the GM, um, maybe people are paying more attention to that than we think. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's, it's what have you done for me lately. And I think maybe I, – I don't think Arthur Blank – you know, would not hire him because of that. Because obviously he gave him a second interview. Right. You know, yeah. I, I think whatever was said in that second interview is probably where there's some some fault lines here, right. maybe. That, I, uh, I will see. You know, it's going to depend. We're just waiting on the shoe to drop. I'll tell you what, I, I, I would not be at all surprised if Bill does not get the job in Atlanta. And I, I would not be at all surprised if Washington hires Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised if it was the enemy. I just, for some reason, that guy, there, there's some skeletons in his closet. I don't know what he did, but he has just <laughs> not got a a job. If he hasn't got a job now, I mean, I just I can't imagine. With all the success, on- yeah, with all the success he had in Kansas City, you'd think he'd have a job by now. And, and the fact that the commanders have waited so long, I, I really wonder. So, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I do. Go ahead. I do think the favorite. I do think the favorite in Washington. I've said this from the beginning. I think the favorite is Bobby Slowick. Okay. Uh, yep. I, and that's just my opinion. I think when they brought in Adam Peters um, as the GM from San Francisco, Bobby Slowick was one of the one of the offensive uh, assistants under Shanahan with them. That makes sense. That seems to be a good marriage. Um, that that would be mine. Seattle's a little different. I have. Really, not got a lot of indications on who I've heard nothing they would want. I've heard Dan Quinn linked there, but okay. I don't know. So, um, and of course, they have history. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what John Schneider's looking to do because he is a very out of the box thinker, right? So, we shall see what you uh, One last hiring I just wanted to mention, and this, <laughs> this one was kind of fascinating to me. 
Uh, Tom Telesco was hired as the new GM for the Raiders after just getting fired uh, by the by the Chargers in that same division. How about that? Very interesting. I, I, to be honest, you know, I think you make that you only make that decision because I think they want to help out Antonio Pierce as much as they can. I think in in a lot of ways, I know people are praising the idea that Pierce is. Oh, they hired Pierce as what a great hire. You know. A lot of that had to do, in my estimation, with a lot of what the players were saying. Okay. You know, I, I think the players really wanted that. Yep. Not necessarily maybe Mark Davis. I, 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 that's just, you know, from my 30,000-foot view, you know, was Max Crosby going to raise a stink if Antonio Pierce wasn't hired? That's a great question. Hmm. Um, so I think they they may have... They may have acquiesced to the players, and in return, they hire a guy like Telesco. Well, let's face it, you know, Telesco put together a really good roster. Yeah, they have talent, He just yes. couldn't, get the, he couldn't get the coach right. right. <laughs> I mean, he just couldn't hire yeah. a good coach. Yeah, yeah. And you're not worried about that right now. So I think a professional GM like that that's really good at roster building and has an insider's understanding of your opponents. Right. I think that would be a really good. I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Nice. Okay, good good point. All right, let's get to last week's games and uh, let's start off uh, with that game in Baltimore between Houston and the Ravens. And at the half, you're going, "What in the heck is going on here?" And then, by all accounts, <laughs> by all accounts, Lamar Jackson basically lit that team up. At the half, he said he did all the talking, and he said there was a lot of cussing, is what he called it. So it sounds like uh-huh. Lamar Jackson did what Jalen Hurts could not do with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's be a leader. You know, when we t- we talked about that earlier in the year with the 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 Eagles having locker room problems, and you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wa- is is that kind of leader. Well, uh, Lamar Jackson sounds like he is that kind of leader. Which, which, you know, is surprising because you don't really hear like that from Lamar and the passion and stuff. But I think Lamar knew the magnitude of the moment and says, we are dominating this game. Right. We should not be tied. No. Like, we, like, this is ridiculous, you know. Like, I would be frustrated, too, because you look at that game. I mean, Baltimore was dominating. Yes. Dominating. And they only had 10 points to show for it. Right. So you, you look at that and you say, okay, Houston. It looked like Houston was maybe ripen for the upset because you get those special teams plays. I mean, that's the type of plays you need to win those games as an underdog. Right. So it, it may have been a, just a wonky day, but Lamar came out. They had blitzed Lamar a ton. They ran seventy-five percent of the plays were blitz plays from the Houston. Wow. And he finally figured it, finally figured it out in the second half where he was able to throw the short game passing. Uh, and that really ended up working out for him. You got to remember, Lamar actually is better against the blitz right. than he is when he's under pressure. So, um, dangerous game they wanted to play with Houston, and it kind of ended up biting them in the butt a, a little bit. They just couldn't get anything. I mean, how many times are you going to run the ball on first down? We all know it's coming. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just throw a play away. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. Well, so, you know, it's it's interesting. Kudos to them. Good season, but Baltimore was way better. When, when you and I talked last week and you were talking about this game and, and you know, you picked Baltimore to win it, and it, you said the problem is is that Houston cannot 
run the ball. That that they are going to get eaten alive, and that they're going to try to run the ball on first down, and they're going to have second and third and long every series. You you said that, and I was like, well, and that's exactly what came to be. What do you want? I mean, that's, wow, that's, just, that's what we kind of game plan for. <laughs> that's the that's. I don't know what you want me to say. I just, that's, I, the way I see the game is the way I see the game. Well, you know, it's just I'm, it, for once I'm not I'm not killing you. For once I'm like you know you you hit this one right on the head. And look, uh, Lamar Jackson is going to win the MVP. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, and you know, and I know the 100%. voting. I know the voting was already done, but at the end of the day, what he did last week. You run for two, you throw for two, you run for 100, you know, and you pass for 150. I mean, th- that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I think that's only happened like once in the last 50 years that a quarterback has done what he's done in that game. What I've always said about Lamar is this: he has skills that no other quarterback has in this league, yep. and that's what makes him valuable. Yeah, I agreed. And I think there is a sense, and I don't want to call it desperation. We're a guy that has, you know, about to win his second MVP. You don't want to say he's desperate. But for a guy that, you know, held out, demanded to be traded, all this other stuff, he needed to back this up. So maybe desperation is not the right word, but I think at the same time he knew, like, uh, you know what? <laughs> if I'm not going to step up now, nobody's ever going to believe me again. Yeah. And I think he needed to prove it maybe to himself maybe. as well. Yeah. Well, they say, look. The first thing he said to Deion Sanders on that stage when he got drafted, they're going to get a Super Bowl out of me. Right. That's what he said. Yep. This is about fulfilling that promise for him. Like I said, I mean, he just has skills that no one else has. Now, he's not the only quarterback in the league that has skills that no one else has. Right. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later with the other game. But his skill set in terms of speed, being able to run the football, and now that short passing game, you've added that into it with receivers that can do really well versus man and versus zone. The Ravens have really built a special team. Yep, yep. Um, it will be uh, a fascinating game uh, next week because, look, uh, you know, and I saw this, you know, it's funny. We talk about Tom Brady being the GOAT. There's already people saying that, look, Patrick Mahomes is on his way to being, to being the GOAT, that the, to surpassing Brady. And, I mean, who knows? It, that could happen. But you've got two guys that are going to collide next week. And, man, I, we talk about how many times Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have teamed up. I think this, is going, this one this week is going to be even more fascinating than the Allen-Mahomes matchup for me. Yeah, no question. I think I think it's fascinating in the sense that this is the toughest test that Mahomes will face, and yes. he's on the road. Yep. You know, you, you, I mean, he's like last week against Buffalo. Yes, I, I thought Buffalo was going to win that game. Uh, I, but you know what ended up killing Buffalo was just they were the injuries, man. Yeah. I mean, they, they they just could not. They had no answer for the for the classic West Coast offense that Andy Reid put in there. I mean, right. That was not. The normal, excuse me, Kansas City offense that we have had all year, right? right? I mean, that was that was going back to the old school days, right? Of how they used to play, right? Man. So when you put out Rasheed Rice going down the field, Miko Hardman being open down the field, Travis Kelsey getting open down the field, it's like that's not what they do. Like right. they, that's not what they've done at all this year, and they took advantage of a really hobbled secondary of Buffalo and a really hobbled linebacking core. Uh, you know, I, I love, I, I love, uh, I love the fact that 
you know, Buffalo, you know, went out hard and they went down swinging. But at the end of the day, I, I think Josh Allen, as I've said to you before, to me, Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the game this year. Yep. And he has, again, like Lamar, he just does things that no one else can do, including Lamar. Right. So the problem with Josh Allen is in the fourth quarter, man, there was just plays to be made that he did he not make. make. Yep. Yep. And, it, you know, especially on that last drive, there was a 70-yard rocket he threw to Diggs that went through his hands. Yep. I mean, those are the plays you need to make because Patrick Mahomes on the other side is going to make is the stealer of souls, yep. the prince of darkness, <laughs> all those things. Like, that's what he is. Yeah. So, so, yeah, have to do it. And that's the difference between being a really, 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 really good team yep. and a great team. Um, you know, look, I think you have to give Buffalo a lot of credit in that game with the injuries, with, you know, with, you know, some of the, you know, you know, 900 year old men playing the secondary, you know, it, it was so bad that, you know, that I really thought with the injuries, I really thought that Kansas City was going to end up blowing them out. So the fact that it came down to a missed field goal at the end to, to possibly send it into overtime, I thought was remarkable. And I think Buffalo, it really, you know, despite the way it ended, I don't really think they had a lot to hang their heads over. Am I wrong? Uh, I think you are. I, yeah? I just think this was their time. Okay. I do. I think this was this was it. I mean, I mean, like you you look at they had all the advantages everywhere. They had the home field. Yep. Uh, every they had already beaten. They know they can beat the Chiefs. Right. You know, but then you do. Stupid things like go for it on fourth down on a punt to, to Demar <laughs> yeah, Hamlin. That was kind of you know. Weird, yeah. I mean, yeah, give me that. Does, does yeah. that make any sense? No, no, you're right. Turning the ball over, turning the ball over, and and then and then getting extremely lucky by Kansas City fumbling out of their own end zone. I mean, right. You, you just do things that create less opportunity for you to win the game. It's just you you, you can't be doing something. You have to manage the game in the moment with the context of what where you are. This is the playoffs. This is for the AFC Championship game. You can't – yeah, you can roll the dice, but what is what is the value and the opportunity cost that's going to cost you? And if you're going to give the ball back to Mahomes on a short field like that – You're in trouble. Yeah. Game over. Yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. Game over. Um, I, I, I got to say this, um, and I, I mentioned it this week during the show. Um, if there was ever any doubt in anybody's mind that Jim Nance is one of the best commentators ever – the fact that when when Bass missed that field goal and it went wide right, that he came up because you know there's no way he scripted this. You know, a lot of times you you know if somebody's going to win something, you can you know you know that an announcer can probably have some, have some idea what he's going to do. When he pushed that thing wide right and he said wide right, the two you know worst words in Buffalo Bills history. <laughs> I mean, you it just doesn't get any better than that. I I literally jumped up out of my chair and applauded Jim Nance in my living room when he said that. Cause I just thought that was, that was, I mean, that's just great. Top of it, top of your head. I mean, look, you and I have called a lot of games in our lives to be able to come up with something like that off the top of your head. I just thought it was brilliant. The storyteller, Jim Nance. I mean, he was, he was there. He was in the building for the giants bills game. Like, you know, yep. way back in the day. Scott and Norwood. Poor Scott Norwood. <laughs> you know, I mean, he'll never live it down. Nope. And, oh, man, you, that was that was a brilliant 
brilliant call, and thank God Tony didn't ruin it oh. with some rambling nonsense. Does Kim, I mean that was that was really good. You know what? Before we get to the other two games, you know, you mentioned Tony, Tony Romo. Look, I remember when he first started, everybody was all about him because he he would he basically was kind of predicting what was going to happen. He's become almost insufferable. He yeah. shut up. <laughs> You know, I mean, he, it's it's, a, it's at some point obnoxious and just like talking about nothing yes. and rambling on. It, it's like it's like reminds you of like when Howard Cosell used to show up uh, a little too giddy. Yeah. Let's put it that way. In the sauce, those things. Yeah, in the sauce. Yeah, you know. I mean, it, 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 you never know what's going to come out of Tony's mouth, yeah. and half of it's very cringy. He had a couple of moments last week where I'm like, "What did he say?" What? Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. But anyway, all right, let's get to the other two games. And the big debate this week has been about all of a sudden people are dumping on Brock Purdy like he sucks. You know, and look, was he great for most of that game? No, he was not. But did he come up with the, the drive when they needed to come up with it? He absolutely did. But the debate this week has been over whether he is a great quarterback or whether he is a game manager. Do you win um, – uh, can he win a game for you, or do you win because he doesn't screw up? You know, all of a sudden, the, the narrative on Brock Purdy has changed a lot. Why is that? Well, I think it's his playoff performance. You know, I, but Brock he was Purdy hurt last. He was hurt very, last year. Well, I mean, let's go back to the Dallas game before that. Okay, was he very good in that game? No, no, he wasn't. He was average. No, not really. Yeah, okay. You know, in the. This game this year against Green Bay, he was horrendous. He wasn't bad. He was horrendous yep. for three and a half quarters. He was. I mean, it, it was a joke. I mean, he could not complete. He couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's how bad he was. He had two interceptions dropped, by the way. So this could have been a lot worse. And isn't that the story you know, to me? We're talking about Brock Purdy. We're talking about Brock Purdy, uh, and and you know he didn't play great, but he but he snuck it out. Yeah. To me, the story is Green Bay just could not, could not capitalize on their opportunity. And you almost wonder. I mean, there was so many chances. Yeah, and you wonder. You know, a lot has been made about how young that team is, and maybe that moment was too big for that young team. Maybe maybe they maybe they well, maybe they started actually thinking instead of just going out and playing. I mean, they they dominated. That that was exactly what I feared for San Francisco. Right. Exactly what we talked about. They're going to punch them in the mouth in the first quarter. San Francisco is going to have a slow start. When you start relying on Brock Purdy to win you the game, that's when things can get hairy for you. Right? There's the rain involved. Uh, you know, Jordan Love was not affected by that at all until the end of the game. So, you know, to me. Where the where the game comes down to is two dropped interceptions, the fourth and one that they tried to sneak and they didn't get it, mm-hmm. the missed field goal at the end, that was that was bad too, yep. you know. They even got some breaks. Yeah, they got some breaks from Shanahan, right? Yep. Where Shanahan messed up at the end of the first half. They got the ultimate break by getting that kick return seventy yards. They fumble it and they recover it. <laughs> right. I mean. There was all the breaks were going the Packers' way. And at the end of the day, they just couldn't capitalize on opportunities. San Francisco is incredibly lucky that they got out of that alive. But you are right in the sense that you have to give credit. 
Brock Purdy was absolutely nails down the stretch. And I like Brock Purdy. Yeah. I think he's a, I think he's a good well, quarterback. I think he's a good guy. Well, what, what? You know, I like Jordan Love. I think Brock Purdy, again, they have, he just tends to have these slow starts and get in the groove into the game. And now he can, he doesn't have to, he has to prove still that in the playoffs, he can have a solid game through and through because San Francisco won't be touched if, if Brock Purdy plays as well as he did in the regular season. Yeah, and you look at what the kid's done the last two years, and his numbers have been phenomenal. And, and the, the only reason I felt it was unfair is because, look, this kid was, you know, the last kid taken in the draft. If this was, if this was, uh, and I know they have a different skill set, but if this is Lamar Jackson, people aren't saying Lamar Jackson, you know, is a game manager. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like, and Lamar Jackson didn't have a great playoff record either. So, I mean, I just give the kid a break. I mean, he's he's fairly new to the playoffs when you come right down to it, right? I mean, so, I don't know. I just felt it was a little unfair. And I, I get what you're saying, but I just think that this kid doesn't get a lot of credit for what he's been able to do. I, I think I think we got to stop judging Brock Purdy on the fact that he was a seventh-round pick. Like, he's well, yeah. a good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, right? it's, 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 if he's yeah. a good it's, he's a good quarterback, right? Yeah, I it's, mean, it's like good. saying it's like saying that you know people people although people still did bring it up for a long time that Tom Brady was a sixth round draft pick. Well, I mean, once you win a Super Bowl, I mean, they did bring that up and they brought that up his whole career, right? And that's what motivated it, right? Right? I mean, that's that's what it was. But at some point, we were like, okay, Brady's really good. <laughs> Brady's a good quarterback. Yeah, right. You know, right? Now he didn't become the Tom Brady we know today, really, until until, you know, 2007, 2008, or 2009, the kind of area. But yep. but still, he was a winner. People saw him as a winner. Yes. He was calm under pressure. Brock right. Purdy has not proven that he can be calm under pressure yet, even with his ability to maybe later on in his career even ascend to be that, to be, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in football. He has to do the thing that has eluded him. Right. And that is, got to play well in the playoffs or else your team's not going to win. And then it, 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 we talk about that with Dak Prescott all the time. You know, you know, guys don't win in the playoffs. So why do we keep you around? Right. You know, right. That's fair. Uh, well, I guess he's got an opportunity to silence the critics um, this week. And, but they, they, that team is going to have their hands full as uh, uh, look, that was a, uh, that that's a scrappy Tampa Bay Bucks team. I, you know, look, I give them all the credit in the world that they were able to do what they did, uh, but the talent came through at the end. The bottom line, you know, it, that was really just a case of uh, finally, I think that the talent and fatigue caught up to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, uh, at the end of the day, the Bucks had all the chances in the world. Again, they had some opportunities as well. They kind of went through their fingers too. I mean, they had a couple of dropped interceptions as well. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, they couldn't stop the run. Right. Uh, that was a that was a major problem for them. Uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown did whatever he wanted to do. Right. He had a really good game. Um, I thought they they had a great passing game. I thought Mike Evans was outstanding, which is what they needed. They needed him to to be that. But at the end of the day, like you said, the talent won out, and it's kind of where we thought the game would be won and lost. Is like, I do think Tampa was going to keep it close, but Detroit, I thought, just had too much firepower offensively to get there and. Let's, let's give credit to this, too. Yes, the Bucks moved the football, but Detroit, when they needed a sack, they got it. They did. It felt yeah. like every time 
that they got to the 40 or 30 yard line, Detroit was getting a sack and they were holding them to field goals. I mean, that's kind of where the game was a little bit won and lost for Tampa. As good as Baker played, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, it, it, it came down to the talent, the timely opportunities that Detroit took advantage of on defense that was in this game. Well, let's, uh, let's, get to this week's games and uh, and figure out who we think is going to go to the Super Bowl. And we'll start off with the uh, the early game. Kansas City is at Baltimore, and uh, Baltimore is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Very fascinating. I mean, you look at the on paper, you say Baltimore's a better team, no question about it. They have most of the advantages. But you got to step in front of the train. You got to step in front of the Prince of Darkness, and he's and he snatches souls in these in these situations. I mean, that's what he does. So he he's just so scary. He's yeah. just so scary. So you know, to me, that's where the rubber meets the road. Look, what does Kansas City want to do? You know, in this game, I think that one of the things they got to figure out a way to do is they got to soften up Baltimore a little bit and run the football. Uh, they can't be afraid to be impatient to do that. I think that they really need to, to, to get Baltimore to get into more seven- and eight-man boxes. You know, like mm-hmm. let them load the box up so then you can get over the top on them because Kansas City wants to run those short passing games. That's really what they want to do. They want to get guys out in open space and go run and get Kelsey out in open space. I think that Kelsey's going to have some problems in this game. Kelsey and Wright typically aren't great against man-to-man defense. I think they're much worse than they are against zone. I think they're going to have some alternate players step up for them. The Isaiah Pacheco, and even in the passing game, Isaiah Pacheco could step up for them. I think the the three tight end sets, the other two tight ends, Noah Gray and Justin Watson, have to step up in this game for Kansas City offensively because Baltimore's coming after you. I mean, they don't blitz. blitz. They don't get pressure. They don't hurry the quarterback. But somehow, someway, they led the league in sacks. It's incredible what they do in their disguise. Right. So that's going to be a major problem for them. Baltimore on the other side, look, they just have a huge advantage. They want to run the football, and Kansas City's just not very good at defending the run. That's the bottom line. I mean, if they can block Nick Bolton, he's their key. If they can block him into the second level, they're going to run on this team all day. But even in the passing game, we talked about it. They have receivers that can do really well against man, and they have receivers that can do really well against zone. So it's just going to be difficult for Kansas City there to, to do that. I think that's the one advantage, though, is Spagnola really has to mix it well and have timely coverages against what Lamar wants to do. So at the end of the day, they get Mark Andrews back as well. That's a huge get back for the Bravens. I am so scared to death to pick against Mahomes, but the Ravens just have the advantages here in every conceivable way. And I think the Ravens win this game. Also, one point I want to make, the Ravens, when they are four-point dogs or less, or four-point favorites or less, they are 6-0 and against the spread. They are 6-0 and straight up this season. I think they make it 7-0. and I think this is the year of the Harbaugh, and I think Baltimore goes on and wins this game. And get a couple of turnovers, too, because that's the thing they do that Kansas City does not do is, is right. force turnovers. So I'm going to take the Ravens here. I think they win this game by at least seven. Um, the second game, I am actually surprised that the number is this big. Detroit 
is a seven-point dog at San Francisco. Uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I understand why San Francisco's favorite, but I thought seven just seemed an awful big number to me. I agree. I think seven is big of a number. I think I don't think this game comes down to the spread. I think this game comes down to who has the ball last. I really do. I think there's there's advantages here for both offenses. For San Francisco, I mean, uh, it's obvious. They're the most explosive team in the league, and Detroit gives up the most explosive pass plays in all football. I mean, right. they're, they're horrible against the pass. But what Detroit does really well is defend the run. They pressure the quarterback really well. Uh, you know, they do a lot of things good. You know, they do, they're, and they're opportunistic. You know, you look at the last five games of the season for Detroit's defense, they've given up at least 300 yards passing. They've given up multiple touchdown passes to all five of the quarterbacks that they played. However, in those five games, they've also got nine interceptions. Okay. So yep. it's a fascinating little thing that we're going to go through. San Francisco is just so tough because you know they want to get guys out in space and let them run. I mean, they have the most yards after the catch of anybody in football. Plus, they got Christian McCaffrey. Right. <laughs> so, you know, just, just say the name and people shudder. <laughs> so, you know, I think, it's, I think at the end of the day, can Detroit hold up in their run defense, which is very good. They have a very good run defense. Right against McCaffrey here and get him out of sync and force Brock Purdy to be the guy to beat them. Right. Uh, if they can do that, then I think that they can find some ways to at least get to Brock Purdy. And, and remember, you know, Brock Purdy, when he's under pressure, he tends to turn the ball over more. And Detroit has the number one pressure defense in football. So we, like, there is opportunity for Detroit defensively, but it is going to be really, really difficult. On the offensive side of the ball for Detroit, you look at Detroit and they say, what do they want to do? They want to throw the ball over the middle, right? Well, guess who's the number one defense that defend in the middle of the field in the passing game? Mm-hmm. That would be the San Francisco 49ers. So what Detroit's going to have to do is, and this is going to be a big, tall task for Doc, is throw the ball outside the numbers and throw it deep down the field because that's where San Francisco can be beat in the secondary. They also can be beat in the run game. We saw what Aaron Jones did against them, right? I think this could be a big game for Jameer Gibbs. He's very explosive on inside runs. The 49ers are also very vulnerable on off-tackle edge runs. This is an opportunity for Detroit to run the football and control the clock. If they can do that, then they can win this game. I do think it comes down to the end of the game. You know, like I'm saying, this is a hard head pick. But, you know, to me, I think Detroit has a good chance here. I think Detroit is live. And I... One last upset of the week. Why not? Let's take the Lions. I'm very skeptical, but I'm going to take the Lions again to win this game because I think that getting the opportunities, having the grit that they have, and there are just and if Debo Samuel doesn't play, if Debo Samuel doesn't play, right, that is a huge loss to the 49ers. This comes down to what have I, what have I been saying about San Francisco all year and all all these last couple of weeks. If you punch the team in the mouth early, they right. they can be beat. Detroit this year, if the Detroit leads at the end of the first quarter, Detroit is ten and zero this year when they lead at the end of the first quarter. Wow. So let's. This is a scary spot. I'm very nervous to pick against the 49ers, but I do think Detroit has a great chance to win. And I'll take the Lions in an upset. Wow. Um, last I heard, Debo Samuel was, was still like fifty fifty, right? Still 50-50, did not practice on, on Wednesday. Don't 
know if he practiced Thursday, uh, but it is up in the air whether he will play. And again, they're just not. I think they're zero and five without Debo Samuel. Yeah, in the lineup. Yeah, I want to say so yeah. something like that. So it, it there's there's injuries on the Detroit offensive line. I get that, but they should play through it. Like there is a lot of opportunities for Detroit to win this game, but Jared Goff has to be big, and they have to run the football. They have to attack the edges. They have to go right at Nick Bosa and attack with that offensive line, and they can win this game. How about how about Detroit was so desperate they had they went out and signed Zach Ertz last at the end of last week. How about, how about that? that? How about that? They get they get a Super Bowl champion. There you go. Oh, by the way, Gene. Yeah. Do you know the last time that Detroit actually won a game in San Francisco? No, no idea. Gerald Ford was president. Oh, my God. 1975. <laughs> that was the last time. In fact, San Francisco has beat Detroit 13 consecutive times wow. when the game is in San Francisco. Wow. And they've beaten them 18, 18 of the last 21 meetings between these two teams have been won by San Francisco. So we've had a lot of firsts for the Detroit Lions this year. I think we're going to have another one. 1975, I was skinny and had hair. My God. <laughs> well, I, I don't know where I was. It was somewhere in the ether somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, if you are correct, there's going to be a lot of celebrating going on in Detroit. And, look, there is a part of me that I, I have to admit, there is a part of me that kind of would like Detroit to win this game and would like Detroit to win the Super Bowl because why not? I mean, you know, what a there'll be movies made about that, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> there's going to be there'll be a there'll be a movie made about the uh, the 2023 Detroit Lions if they come and and go all the way to win this thing. We're talking about we're talking about almost 70 years. It's, it's crazy. 70 years since yeah. they won a title. Yeah, I mean, isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's not quite where the Red Sox were we're from 1919, but we're we're, you're getting darn close. I mean, and what was 1955? Was it when they won? Yeah, somewhere around there. 55, 56, something Uh, there, and they won the NFL championship before before the Super Bowl era, obviously. So uh, right, you know, I mean, if if we do have if we do have Ravens versus Lions, Gene, it's either going to be a great year for the Harbaugh's. Or it's going to be a great year for the state of Michigan. That's all. We'll oh wow! I hadn't even thought about that. That's great. You got you got. Uh, yeah. There's it's a no lose situation. <laughs> that's, right. That's pretty there good. You go. That's pretty good. All right, Dan. Well, listen. Enjoy the uh, games this week. I I'm still upset. We have a week off between the uh, these games and the Super Bowl. I hate that. But uh, we'll, we'll have you on next week and uh, and we'll break it down and uh, and get ready uh, for the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, beware. You're probably going to get dragged to, like, some garden center or a shopping mall for all you dads and husbands out there uh, <laughs> next week. So enjoy this week and prep yourself for the Super Bowl. It's sad to see the football season go, but this is the biggest moment and the biggest in the biggest. I think we're going to see some really good fireworks this week. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. <laughs> That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Break down the games uh, over the weekend. Hey, it's Bob Euchre's birthday today. Happy birthday, Bob. Uh, in, still going strong, uh, working a part-time schedule for the Milwaukee Brewers. But uh, happy birthday to Bob Euchre. Uh, in honor of Dan Zampano's upset pick of the Detroit Lions beating the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday, uh, here's an oldie. 
Uh, this is uh, Bobby Bear. It's called Detroit City. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.